Is your fan off? My fan is off. We're good. There we go. Perfect. It was only like three minutes. Five. Oh, no, it wasn't. I, I, five when minutes. I heard it at the beginning, I was like, oh, God, is this the whole episode? But no, it was just. No, it was just I would have fixed episode. it if it was the whole episode. But. Yeah. Mac OS Sonoma Mayo is here. Not a whole lot here, but I think there are some good changes. The biggest ones being widgets on the desktop. So we got interactive widgets, normal widgets, and then also, and maybe the coolest part is that your iPhone widgets will show up on your Mac, assuming your iPhone is in range. So like developers don't have to specifically build widgets for the Mac or update their Mac apps to add widgets, which is something that I'm sure would be very low on the priority list for a lot of developers this time of year. <laughs> so this is Have you been using the uh the the like the remote widgets though? Cuz I, I obviously I only just upgraded to Sonoma this week. I know you were running in the beta season, but remote I, widgets like sounds a bit hairy, you know, like I was using them for things, the to-do list app until they updated their Mac app this week with proper Mac OS widgets. widgets okay. But it works pretty well. It's Every so often, it'll throw up an error that it can't connect to your iPhone, but most of the time, it's solid. And I was using it for Timery, the time tracking app, until this week, and that one was surprisingly good because it has to like sync the real-time like stop and start of a timer, obviously, and it was pretty quick. So yeah, it's better than I expected, for sure. I haven't tried like things like Widget Smith or... Yeah, I mean, obviously, like Apple prefer these developers to make actual apps but like the example didn't the example they use in the wc connect was like that electric car it's oh like, yeah the electric car makers are never going to bother making mac apps but they're going to make an iphone app so now it pops up there too yeah i had the i tried it with the tesla widget and it's fine i don't really need my car information on my mac desktop though it's not particularly useful but it's there if you want it yeah i don't like the color they are when they're not focused because yeah. they're in that like, they're in like this like desaturated like dark mode appearance kind of and it's i you don't like either because you can now you can click on the desktop and it automatically hides all your windows with the idea being that that makes it easier to see your widgets quickly but i know some people have hated that change and there's a setting in system settings to change it but i've gotten used to it i kind of like it actually it has broken my um like fidgeting muscle memory because i yeah <laughs> when i was true. bored or thinking i would like make the rectangle you know like the selection rectangles uh, yeah. On, on the, yeah so i just yeah. like make squares for like a minute straight while i was thinking about a problem or something. <laughs> but now if you as soon as you click it like make sure your windows disappear um but i think i'll get used to it i do like that you can so that's that's one setting and then a separate setting is that you can hide the items when the windows are focused so if you have a messy oh, desktop like me with yeah. just like random files on it, you can just make them not show. Like all the icons are just hidden unless you show the desktop specifically, either by clicking or if you turn the clicking off, you can do the you know four finger expose gesture just to make them all fly away and then they reveal themselves. So I've turned that setting on because it's nice. Like, you know, I use the desktop folder as just like a, a landing pad for a mm-hmm. load of stuff until yeah. I eventually clean it up, you know, on a weekly basis or whatever. But you don't necessarily need to see the icons on the home screen the whole time. Uh, Does that so hide the I've, widgets I've that too? On. That setting? Uh, I I need to check actually because I I haven't done the widgets too much yet, yeah. so I don't actually know uh, the answer. To that would be weird. I probably yeah. should. But, but... Yeah, that would be weird. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm using it to hide the icons, which is nice. 
because uh, because you do like you've always had the option to hide the icons permanently yeah right and just mm-hmm. never show anything on the desktop but sometimes it's nice to see the icons so now it's like if there's windows there the icons on there if you make all the windows go away the icons show it also means you get a better view at the new wallpapers right because they've got these like you know the apple tv screensaver is now on the mac with the load more options too and they kind of like fade in from the lock screen as like a moving video and then when you unlock the mac they kind of come to a stop like smoothly and then you just get like a picture and you can cycle them on a daily basis or whatever like they're really nice i mean the the apple tv screensavers are like <laughs> one of the best features of the yeah. apple tv uh so the fact that they now bring these to other platforms is is cool the only thing that's kind of annoying is the on the Mac when you shut down your computer completely and you start it up, the lo- the the first login screen there is not like it's before you've like unlocked the computer, so it doesn't know your preferences about what wallpaper you're using or anything. So it has to just show you the default wallpaper. Oh yeah. So I the first, that. so like if you turn on your computer from fully shut down, it can't do the nice transition into an actual moving wallpaper it just shows the default sonoma one and then after you type in your password it then does the loading bar and changes to whatever the error is at the moment but in the fullness of time it would be nice if they could like improve that because now they've literally focused on the smooth transition from the lock screen to the desktop uh, that kind of breaks it up but most of the time obviously your computer is staying on on and it's just going to sleep and unlocking so you do get the benefit most of the time but from a raw shutdown it is a bit is a bit inelegant those are the biggest things, I think, in Sonoma. You get upgraded autocorrect and inline text prediction, which I don't like. And they made the cursor, like, Huge. double width. Yeah. Yeah, it's big. Which is funny when you think about... Like, they've obviously made it match iOS, but there's those persistent rumors they're going to add, like, touchscreens to the Mac one day. It's like, well, if you make the cursor a bit thicker, it's easier to <laughs> pick up. I think they just made it thicker because it makes it more clear where the cursor is so you don't accidentally trigger the inline text prediction mm. which is very finicky speaking of things that i turned off quickly yeah text prediction on the phone is more useful than on yeah. the yeah i think although yeah. although i always think i always have to be careful there because like touch typists you know are not the average person most a lot of That's people true. when they're typing on a computer have to like look down at the key so like if they're finishing a word and they've only typed three letters and it can complete the whole word for them, it's a lot more convenient. Whereas if you're, you know, if you can type fast anyway, those kind of features just get in the way more. And it's not like you know how you go to like Gmail on the web and it has its own text completion, like it'll fill in a sentence, like an entire yeah. sentence as you type it. That's useful, but like the word by word text prediction on a Mac, where at least people like us are typing really fast, it just can't keep up. Yeah the 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 Apple one suggests maybe two words maximum um yeah but it's not like it's not like doing like full sentences maybe it will in time but at least right now it just does like a word or two and then the biggest most impactful change probably is the add to dock feature in safari right you think that's the biggest change in sonoma bigger well, name something bigger the widgets the widgets are pretty big the widgets are i don't popular. think i'm gonna use uh, i guess in, biggest for me right because okay that makes more sense yeah like the widgets i don't think i'm gonna use them really i even on the phone i don't use widgets that much i have like the weather widget the music widget and the home widgets you know they're now they're interactive so you can turn lights on and off maybe i'll put some home widgets on my mac desktop too but at, at least right now i haven't been like i've been waiting to upgrade to sonoma to get desktop widgets i'd say I've been waiting to get like the add to dock and the cool wallpapers. Yeah. What are you using the add to dock for? I have put TweetDeck in there immediately because I, I was previously using the Chrome 
web app thing uh, but that meant having to run chrome all day which i prefer not to do so i don't really use chrome otherwise and if you opened links in the TweetDeck chrome app yeah. it would then mm-hmm. open the links in chrome as well so now you can make the safari one and it has a nice icon by automa- like automatically the chrome one you had to like manually make the icon and it would always reset which is annoying so now you get like a nicely shaped round rect icon it loads in safari you can have profiles if you want to, and then when you click on a link, it opens in Safari too. So I put TweetDeck down there. Uh, I need to make a Threads one as well because I kind of forgot the Threads as a web app now. <laughs> uh, but I'll slap Threads in a web app too, and uh, then I'll be very happy. Because like otherwise, I can't think of something that's actually gonna, I'm going to be using day to day. Like the wallpapers are like a you know nice um, detail on the outside, but they're not like productivity. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm only using the web app thing for threads. I tried using it to like as a dedicated button to like take me to the page in our CMS where we create a new post, but that I found myself like never actually using it and it was just cluttering up the docs so I removed it. So yeah, I can't really think of anything else. TweetDeck's the obvious one. And and to be fair, profiles in Safari is something that I might like actually set up and use so cuz you know, you can have like your Google account. You can have one profile which is logged yeah. into one Google mm-hmm. account, another profile is logged into a different Google account, uh, and stuff like that. But I haven't actually done that yet. Oh, and we can't forget the video conferencing features where you make the gestures and like the confetti oh, falls. I mean, and I in- we should have done that in our pre-show. Oh, um, that's right. When on we Zoom. Had, yeah. Well, I installed it on our iMac that we have at the house, and my wife was in a Zoom meeting, and she kept accidentally triggering what it was i think the balloons somehow and balloons just kept <laughs> falling over her face during the meeting and she ran to me in the other room and she was like how do i turn this off people are asking why there's balloons falling on all over my screen yeah i mean that kind of feature is just like i know they have that one too where you can like make your um like show your desktop and put you in a little oh, thumbnail yeah. mm-hmm. that one's a bit more useful but the the random like iMessage reactions in video form are just like people are going to do them like once then never do them ever again they're like the most gimmicky thing in the world because there's no extensibility, right? They get so boring so fast. You can do balloons, fireworks, and thumbs up. And then it's like, well, I've done them now. I'm never going to redo them again. If they want to make it like a serious feature, they need to do like what like, you know, like Snapchat and those kind of apps do where you have like this big library of like lenses and yeah. you can like download more and swap them out and get from the app store and stuff. Uh, but most likely they're just going to give you these three and never touch the feature again. Anything else in Sonoma? That's Those are the high points, I think. Yeah, it's a small release. It's fine. It feels pretty stable. Yeah, well, so. yeah, I was gonna say it feels really stable. Even one of our colleagues, Michael Bauer, who is notoriously notoriously picky and finicky about how things work, and very vocal if one thing changes that he doesn't like. I think his words were, "This is the best point zero macOS update in in years." So that's the best. Yeah, stuff stays stable when you don't change too much. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> So the beta train is back in action. What we had two weeks of peace and quiet from no betas. And now we have iOS 17.1. There's a couple interesting things here, specifically in the music app. So you can now favorite songs, playlists, and albums. Apple says that like eventually there's going to be dedicated playlists showing your favorite songs. And right now there's a filter in the playlist screen to show your favorite playlists. But the dedicated playlist for favorite songs isn't there yet, if that makes any sense. I wasn't sense. sure whether they meant when they say favorite playlists, they mean the filter. Because you can also oh, filter true. on the song screen. Like, 
So you can you can favorite like albums and songs, and if you go into that section in the library, you can turn on the filter for just favorites. Yeah, yeah right. so that might be what they mean versus like a playlist specifically. But then it might just be you want to just play all songs that are favorite, right? So a playlist with my also maybe works. So yeah, I would yeah, prefer we'll, a playlist. We'll wait a bit longer, but to see how that fully f- flares out. But that might be it. Um, but they basically taken the previous like thumbs up love feature and like expand it right so now there's like a a permanent star button in the now playing screen so it's nice and obvious and you can do it from the lock screen as well there's a nice little animation when you click it and then as well as appearing in the you know the filters it supposedly also benefits your recommendation engine and stuff so pretty nice little change and if you're looking at a playlist there's a new like section at the bottom that so shows song suggestions that you can add to that playlist i think the idea is that those are inspired by your favorite songs because I think I said before, I don't think that like like unlike button ever actually did anything. So if they're actually using the information about what you favorite to make better recommendations, that's pretty cool. I I didn't test this, but I saw someone on the iOS beta subreddit say that depending on the title of the playlist, it actually recommended different songs. So oh like, really? If you type like '80s playlist, it would then you know be more like just '80s music in that suggestion at the bottom. So there does seem to be some sort of intelligence there, which is cool. Also in the music app, they added, you can make custom artwork for your playlists. So it takes the name of your playlist and overlays it on like a library of just different images, like cover cover art images. This is a cool change. It kind of Sherlock's, there's a really good app called Denim that lets you make custom playlist artwork too. I still think Denim has a lot more options and a lot more custom customizability, but it's nice to have this directly in in the music app itself. And presumably one of the reasons they're adding this is ready for the collaborative playlist stuff. Oh, yeah. Good coming. So they're trying to just emphasize the use of playlists more. And they've been... Because right now, well, before this, they would all just have like the... Like a four square of album art of songs inside the playlist. Whereas now yeah. you can have a bit more variety and stuff. So it f- makes it more likely that you want to share them around and set, you know, your own photos or something. Airdrop, the continue airdrop transfer over internet is there, I think. I haven't actually tested it, but there's a new toggle that lets you enable it for mobile data in addition to Wi-Fi. So I think it's there. Have you tried it? I haven't tried it. I've seen the setting. <laughs> yeah, so we did some great I'll investigative of, yeah. we did some good investigative reporting on that one. It only came out yesterday. We're doing the airdrop. <laughs> and it came out an hour later too, so and I've got to find somebody else with the beta as well to airdrop too. So it's not an easy thing to try. <laughs> Eventually, we'll find out whether it actually works. But I don't see why it wouldn't. One of the big things here for you, Mayo, is the Apple Wallet app can now show you current bank account balances. And this is only in the UK. So it's the rare instance of the UK getting a financial feature from Apple that we don't have here in the U.S. So you want to tell us or how any this works? Feature, right? Like so many features are like U.S. only. Yeah, that's true. And now we've got a rare U.K. only uh, Apple feature. Even like live voice. Yeah, so mail. if you have a, if you have the seventeen beta and you have a supporting bank card, because it's not all banks, unfortunately, but some a lot of the big ones are in there, like Barclays and HSBC and Lloyd's. Uh, if you go into the Apple app, you can click on that card and it will say like connect your bank. And it goes through like this flow, which uses the open banking standard, which is like a UK thing, which a lot of the banks support, um, which is like an open standard API for accessing banking information. And so the idea is long term, there'll be like, you know, like how you have like different Twitter. Well, you used to have different Twitter clients. 
Yeah. You eventually theoretically be able to have like different banking clients for your bank and have them all like combined to one or something. Oh. That's like the long tail idea of this initiative. Um, but that hasn't really materialized yet. But the Apple is one of the biggest adopters so far, I believe. I haven't seen this really used anywhere else. But the, the Apple is using it for a more simple version right now. Basically, it puts your balance from your bank account. So if you've got like a debit card, um, it can put your balance directly in the wallet app. And then when you go to make a purchase in that like Apple Pay sheet, it will say the balance on the account. So it's trying to promote you know more financial responsibility, tell you whether you can actually afford this thing or not. And if you go into the wallet app, it can also show you like a full transaction history, not just of Apple Pay purchases, but anything that's on your account, including like deposits and payments, and you can see them all there. So it's Apple's first steps into like integrating the bank account information into the Apple Pay experience uh, directly. Obviously, in the US, you could kind of do this and more with the Apple Card, like the Apple Credit Card. But if you didn't have like the Apple Card, it was just like, here's your card and you can use it for Apple Pay. But with this integration, they're giving a bit more context and information. Uh, it's in 7.1 beta now. It'll be rolling out gradually over time. And I think the supporting banks will also increase over time too. Uh, but nice little thing. Yeah, we don't have any of that over here. But we do have, I don't in the wallet app, when you link a credit card to Apple Pay, you can see the transaction history for that card. But it's obviously not as full featured as this. It doesn't show you any of your balance information. I like that they say they're promoting financial healthy financial decisions and they don't support showing like credit card balances that aren't apple card because my like bank account balance doesn't really change throughout the month because i just put things on credit card on my credit card then pay it off at the end of the month so i feel like the more useful thing here would be integrating with different credit cards to show credit card balances instead of yeah just... i'm not sure that that might not be part of the open banking api like That's true. the api yeah. might just be like bank account so uh, they might need something else to do credit card stuff but it's a it's a start. I mean, I think it's just nice that they're taking advantage of functionality that's available in a particular region and not just being super US centric about it. So yeah. nice little change and this is the first, you know, stepping stones, right? In time I'm right. sure they'll be yeah. more and more ambitious. Uh and they can do a lot more. But right now you can see your balance there, which is kinda handy. Cause I do like my you know, my bank I have a like obviously you have like your bank app that you go in and check your balance and you can mm-hmm. see transactions and stuff, but it's sometimes nice like you don't have to open the whole app just to see the balance you can just open the wallet app and it'd be right there and bank out bank apps are notoriously bad just oh yeah i mean mine like my main one is santander and like you click on it and then it like says securing your device for some reason with animation (laughs) takes like five seconds then the face id thing comes up and then it spins and then if, if face id fails for whatever reason you have to like restart the app you can't just try again it's like a whole deal but then it lets you in and then there's a more loading spinner and then it finally shows you your balance it's like if i just want to check my balance it'd be a lot quicker if i could just tap on the wallet app icon and it'd just be right there so maybe this means you'll get apple cash sooner rather than later i don't know about that i feel like they're separate features yeah there this is like a way to get banking data out of your banks it doesn't really help them establish financial products of their own which is kind of what the apple card apple pay cash kind of thing are well, you're going to owe me $5,000 for the Vision Pro I'm going to send you. Yeah, so. we'll, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. Mail me an envelope of cash. On, on a wider level, 7.1 Beta 1, still missing quite a lot of things, right, that we expect yeah. it finally to include. I mean, the journal app is meant to come out later this year. Uh, collaborative playlist and music isn't there. Uh, the tap back thing, that's what I was most looking forward to. Where you So th- when they did the stickers in iOS 17 
for iMessage. Oh, yeah. They also mm-hmm. said that in a future later this year, you also be able to do that directly from the tap back screen. So like you double tip, you double click in messages, and right now it has like those five options. Uh, in the future, you just be able to have like any emoji right there and just immediately send that. So that's what the feature I'm kind of like most waiting for, but that's not currently in the first beta. Um, and also on the watch for you know watch os 10.1 beta one came out no double tap there quite yet for my watch uh, there is a new gestures section in the settings but which is obviously where like the controls for double tap will appear but right now it's just kind of empty and it only has the cover to mute thing which has been there for a long time so it's beta one it'll take a while uh you know give it a couple of weeks then it'll come out i mean apple promised that double tap would ship in october so 17.1's got to come out in October, so we'll get, what, three or four betas probably. Yeah. Uh, probably another beta next week, and that might have more of the features built out. Because the one thing to point out is that this beta was compiled before the shipping version of iOS 17, so that's why it's missing. Like, the new ringtones are gone. The version of watchOS 10.1 that reviewers got on their reviewer, like their loaner devices, is not this build. It's a newer build, so... There's some messiness going on there. I think we'll probably unify next week. And I would imagine that that one will add back the ringtones for iOS 17 and also add double tap. Can't wait. Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by Opener. So you've got a link to a website, but really you want that same page opened in the native app on your phone instead. On iOS system, it's really annoying to do that, but Opener is the solution. Just copy a link to your clipboard, launch Opener, and it will show you all the apps on your phone that you can open that deep link to. Even better, you can use the Opener action extension in the share sheet from anywhere to go right there. And new with iOS 17, you can even use drag and drop to just drag a link directly onto the Opener app icon on your home screen to activate the link. Opener currently supports over 280 different apps, including all your favorite new social media services like Mastodon Ivory, Threads, and so much more. And Opener is adding more compatible apps all the time. If a link is supported by multiple apps, then you just quickly choose what you want from a list of all the relevant options. Opener means you can skip past so many annoying web views and just get the native app experience that you actually want. Do you ever click on a link to a page in an app that you know is installed on your phone, but iOS takes you to the App Store anyway? Well, Opener is a solution to all of that pain. It's especially useful if you use a third-party web browser rather than Safari, So iOS, as iOS loves to open links in Apple's apps by default. Opener is always kept up to date with support for the latest system features, including things like drag and drop, rich keyboard shortcuts, dark mode, and more. And even the best part is it's just a one-time purchase from the App Store for endless utility. So go now to opener.link to find out more and get the app for yourself. Thanks to Opener for sponsoring the show. Speaking of Apple financial services things, apparently Apple and Goldman Sachs were working on a stock trading service that would be integrated into the stocks app that would basically let you buy buy and sell shares of companies. Great. But this is from CNBC. And the the reason that they abandoned the plans apparently is that the stock market tanked. Yeah, so, what? <laughs> I mean, that, doesn't that kind of like undermine the the whole reason of like doing it? Because like, yeah, you can't you can't be you can't be Apple sitting there like, well, we could do this feature about trading stocks, but we're scared people are going to lose money. I mean, that's what stock trading is. Some people win, some people lose. Like, if they were if they were worried about losing money, they should never embarked on this feature in the first place uh, the the cnbc article and you know if this was from some like random website it would be a lot more 
like suspect, but CNBC yeah. is pretty reputable, and you know, especially in financial matters. Um, so this probably did happen. Uh, CNBC basically says that like back in 2020, when stock trading was a big you know hype train, you know, loads of retail people were using their like stipends and just money sitting around when they were locked at home on apps like Robinhood and Apple and Goldman saw an opportunity to like join in on that trend. This was at a time when you know interest rates were at zero and you know you had the hype craze of like um GameStop, GameStop and all GameStop, you know the meme yeah. stock stuff like it was a you know it was a, it was definitely a wave and they saw a opportunity to basically offer the same thing and they wanted to launch in 2022 so they started on this in 2020 and they wanted to launch this uh, last year but close to launch apple pulled the plug on the thing because the stock market started collapsing a bit and interest rates were rising right so apple right. supposedly feared that their customers would lose money and so they didn't want that to happen but i think you can if you don't trust cnbc as a publication you can also just look at apple's actions because in 2022 ios 16 included a load of random oh yeah significant <laughs> updates to the stocks app uh without the service obviously but like it let you like organize your stocks into different watch lists keep track of upcoming earnings reports so like you know it's the age old thing where apple just randomly starts paying attention to a a, a stock app literally on the phone and then there's like a service coming along the way. So here was like another perfect example of that. Uh, it's unclear whether Apple plans to ever go back to this, but CNBC basically said most of the underlying infrastructure is ready to go. And so if they wanted to, they could pick up with it instead. What they kind of paused, they paused on doing stock trading. Instead, what they launched was the high interest savings account for the Apple Card thing, uh, which obviously has done well, you know, in a time of higher interest rates. And it's also Much far safer, safer from Apple's perspective because... Yeah. You can't lose money with that, right? Like, you know, you can't, in real terms, you can't lose money, right? You put in a thousand, you're guaranteed a certain interest rate, and that's what you get out when you take your money out. Stock trading's much more of risk. And so, if Apple executives are worried about customers losing money, uh, it's hard to see them ever really committing to a stock trading service, but maybe they will. Interest, you know, stick to, like, there was this whole um, Ferrari when Apple started doing the credit card. The Apple card yeah. of like, should Apple be doing a credit card at all? Isn't is that very Apple-y? I think there was more justification there. You know, they did it in a very financially responsible way. They showed people the terms of the balance and the calendar and the repayment calendar is very obvious, and they did it in a way that isn't very predatory and that you only have the interest rate as the only fee. Otherwise it's fee free. There's no like hidden charges and stuff. So I think they did the Apple card in a pretty innovative and, you know, Apple-y way. And then the savings account and, st- and the you know monthly payment, monthly installments for the device and stuff that kind of you know trails off of that. A stock trading service is harder to see where Apple could really give any sort of contribution other than yeah. Well, we're on the iPhones. So here's a stock trading service, and we'll make up some money off of it. You know, I think it's just hilarious too thinking about the broader context of the relationship between Apple and Goldman Sachs. Like Apple goes to Goldman Sachs and says, let's build a stock trading service. We're going to spend two years working on it. So they do it. And apparently they're getting close to, to launching because they scrapped it last year. Then Apple says, actually, the stock market sucks. Let's pull pull the plug on this. Yeah. And Goldman Sachs is just left there with presumably a pretty robust infrastructure. And instead, they launch a high-yield savings account, which I believe is notoriously hard for the bank to make money on. And that's why Goldman Sachs is losing money on their Apple deal and looking for a way out. It is a just an interesting climate. I think I think if you want a high high level take, it just shows that Apple is 
not opposed to doing anything <laughs> when yeah. it comes to services revenue it's like stock trade service yeah we'll do that you know pro calculator i don't know we'll do whatever any look at any app on the iphone is there some way we can get extra monetization out of it they're at least thinking about it you look at something like like robin hood and they have like robin hood gold where you can get all kinds of extra features and instant deposits and you pay them a monthly fee ten dollars a month or whatever more services money in apple's pocket all their customers are buying GameStop and AMC. When you look at it like that, it's pretty obvious why they scrapped it. I think we talked about this maybe when we weren't recording a couple of weeks ago, but there was that story in Vox where it was like, has Apple Pay made spending money too easy? And it's, I think that's a great example of like the standard that Apple's being held to in this industry. Because the whole argument was that Apple Pay lets you just tap your phone and spend your money they said like it doesn't seem like real money when you're just tapping your phone on something. But you could make that argument about credit cards too. I don't know. It was a bizarre story. Very yeah, bizarre story. it's a bit story. of a stretch. Like Apple just took payments and made them simpler and easier. And and, and in many ways, they were just taking what you know was already a thing. And like right. the UK, for instance, we've had contactless for ages. And they just integrated with the phone just like any other smartphone would and were, was doing, you know, like the Google Wallet stuff kind of predated Apple Pay in some ways. Apple made it super popular, but I don't think you can really blame them for, you know, Apple Pay being quote-unquote too easy to spend money. It's not really the same difference. And as we literally just talked about before, they keep adding features to try and make you even more aware yeah. about what you're spending on and stuff. So uh, they certainly don't feel like they're trying to force it down your throat. If you want a better argument for that is the Apple Pay Later thing, right, where that is the almost premise of the feature is trying to spend beyond your means, right? Because you can't afford it right now, but we'll <laughs> spread it out over full payments, you know? So that's more of the, the murky ground uh, situation. Uh, Apple Pay itself, you can't really can't really be annoyed about on those, on those grounds. So in the UK, Apple has a feature that lets you monitor your bank account and make healthy financial decisions. In the US, we have a credit card and a pay later installment service, which one of those is a lot different than the other. Yeah. <laughs> One thing we talked about last week and the week before and quite a bit is AirPods Pro with USB-C supporting lossless playback with Vision Pro. And and specifically the ultra low latency because, yeah, like, right. you know, lossless is like whatever. Right? The ultra low latency is the part is the feature of that that's significant in that if you're, you know, that gives you immersion when you're in a mixed reality environment far better than right. Bluetooth. Yeah. We were wondering why the new revision of AirPods Pro 2 only the AirPods Pro 2 with the USB-C case were capable of streaming that lossless audio with low latency. And we kind of got an answer with some Apple executives did an interview with Brian Tong. And they basically explained that the H2 chips in AirPods Pro 2 with USB-C and the H2 chip in Apple Vision Pro run at 5 gigahertz. Whereas the H2 chip inside AirPods Pro 2 with Lightning runs at what is it 2.4 gigahertz yeah, yeah. i Which guess is like, this is reason like it's a valid reason yeah but. i mean i i still kind of think my conspiracy theory that they wanted to do it before but yeah, then they realized that they couldn't is like pretty accurate because it's basically the exact same chip apart from one runs at 2.4 one runs at five i mean 2.4 as a frequency is just incredibly noisy because there's so many devices and accessories running at 2.4 that's what like you know uh wi-fi bg and N can run out, and then you know later standards are more adopt five gigahertz and, and six gigahertz and stuff. But like, it's it's ultimately the same feature. They just realised that 
they can get less interference if they go to 5 gigahertz. So they probably were like, we've made this feature. And then they took it out in the field and they're like, uh-oh, this doesn't quite work because we're getting all this interference around. So I guess we'd better do a revision. And then that just so happened to land alongside the USB-C port. But at least there is a hardware reason it's you know not software alone. I don't think this is going to make anybody run out and buy new AirPods Pro right now, but I guess when we all spend $3,500 on our headset next year, we'll have to spend the extra 250 to get AirPods Pro 2 because they're not going to give them away in the box. I can't wait for you to do that. And then you're going to reimburse me. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's in a different reality. <laughs> yeah, different <laughs> reality. Indeed. But I think what everybody is here for this week is to hear, Mayo, what you think of the Apple Watch Series 9. Because what this oh. is your first Apple Watch upgrade since the Series 4. What year was the Series 4? Was that 20- 2018? 2018. First yep. new Apple Watch in five years. Yeah, the, the 2018 Apple Watch was the one that we leaked, remember? On oh, iPhone yeah. Com. With the with iPhone the, 10s, with the, with the iPhone 10s, yeah. yeah, that was a good time. And it was the first time, it, you know, it was their big redesign, right? Um, for the Apple Watch, and it kind of looks the same these days. I mean, <laughs> they have revised it; like the screen's got bigger, they've curved it off a bit more. But it's, you know, it wasn't like the like the there was the Series Zero, like the original, and then the redesign of Series Four was, you know, different. This and then it's been more like a slow evolution since then. And I think my experience with the watch would basically reflect it being a slow evolution like in some ways it is hard to tell the difference which i <laughs> i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but it, like he's better like I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay it like you know the, the the reason i was giving up on the series 4 this year was the, it didn't run watch OS 10 very well at all and the battery was getting worse and you could theoretically get a battery replacement but you know they're like 80 quid on their own at some point you might as well upgrade the watch i was like this is the time to do it the performance is definitely noticeable. It runs WatchOS 10 very, 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 very smoothly. The animations, all the you know blurs and stuff they do now, like they look great. They run at full resolution. If you click on like the email app or the messages app, it doesn't feel like it's like waiting there to render the blur. It just does it and it moves the page along. So it, it makes it, it definitely makes WatchOS 10 a lot more enjoyable. Um, the screen size is nice. So I went from 40 millimeters to 41 millimeters. Um, which remember is the height of the watch because they measure for some reason they measure watches in like case height not diagonal screen so it goes one millimeter taller but it's like you know one to two millimeters more in the diagonal and so the extra the extra screen real estate you get is pretty impactful like it's still the same watch at the end of the day but for instance the weather app on watch 10 feels way less cramped like all the all the things in the circle just a bit more spaced out there's a bit more gap you can read stuff more clearly though you can bump the font size up another level um, and still feel like you're not you know getting penalized as much so it is nice like and of course it has always on display now which i didn't have before oh, yeah. the always on is good when you're glancing down but I've, it does actually make me wish for like eye tracking or something to like light the display up which sounds really weird but like when on the series four and previous you knew the watch wasn't awake because the screen wasn't on right so you'd have to do the gesture to raise it up and then it would light up whereas now and again i've only had it for what like a week so maybe you know your your muscle memory changes or whatever but now i'm like so i, I glance down to see a notification on the screen and the screens are, are turned on because obviously it's always on and then my arm just wants to like naturally just like tilt it slightly to read it all. But the tilt isn't enough of an action to make it think that I'm actually using it. So it doesn't actually do it doesn't actually wake up properly. So I've, I found myself having to tap the screen more, 
Whereas previously, your arm would just always be forced to do the yeah. full gesture to make it light up, right? So, like, there's a weird thing where now that it turns the screen on all the time, it now feels almost like a burden. I have to like wake it up again in the set in the case where I don't because I do the because I'm like I've, I've got it like an angle and then I do the gestures to try and wake it up and it doesn't do it as reliably for some. It's kind of weird, but like it would be nice in a long arc of the future where if the watch can just like detect your eye glance and like you know do like a face ID attention kind of thing like if you look at it it just like fully lights up uh, but obviously it doesn't do that today um, and o- overall of course it's better for the screen to be on all the time than it to be off it's just a weird kind of adjustment period it especially comes up when I'm doing notifications because with notifications you only get like the short look preview when the watch is in the dimmed position so it yeah. just shows you like the app icon and the title um, and now I'm like wanting to see the whole notification I like tilt my arm but I haven't tilted it enough to activate the gesture so I have to like reach over and it, you know it comes a bit of a problem maybe when double taps around i can just double click and it will light up for me that'd be handy um although i think double tap only works when the screen's awake so that wouldn't actually help but yeah <laughs> uh, you know it's nice like I, f- I totally forgot they added a keyboard to the the input screen oh yeah <laughs> uh, so i when i opened that up the first time i was like wow this oh yeah it's got a keyboard so you can actually like type rather than scribble which is kind of handy uh, the big change that is actually new with the series nine is obviously you've got double tap but that's not available yet and you have the on-device siri yeah feature where it transcribes and interprets your command on device for basic queries so it doesn't have to go off to a server i do use that a lot like i the i think what i do my watch is probably like ask do do workout start a workout set a timer and ask for the weather. And two of those things don't require the internet, right? The weather right. obviously does. But the other two do not. And so when you're doing cooking or whatever, like in, in my kitchen, the Wi-Fi signal sometimes gets like interfere interference because it's like near a microwave or an oven or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like when the when the appliances aren't on, the Wi-Fi's fine, but when I'm actually mid cooking, sometimes the signal like drops out or whatever. Um, and so in those cases before, if you're trying to use the watch set a timer, you would just get hit with the spinner and then nothing would happen or it would fall fail with an error or it eventually work but it'd take like five seconds it's like real pain now if you ask to set a timer it's it's setting the timer there's no there's no loading there's no wait there's no you know there's no chance that it can fail you ask it for a timer as soon as you finish speaking like it, it's bringing up the, the palette the little panel that says the timer started which is a huge benefit like in the scheme of things is it enough to buy a whole new watch for no but you know now that you've got it it's like it's I, like i appreciate that a lot it's just so nice to be able to like set a timer and never have to see a loading spinner it just makes you use it more right whereas before Mm -hmm. i'd be like well i'll just go to the phone and click on it or you know or maybe ask my home pod or something whereas now i can like ask the watch and reliably know that it's going to work so that makes the biggest difference day to day uh i'm sure double tap i will actually use for maybe ending the time or ending the alarm or whatever or resetting it or stuff uh but that isn't available in the betas so far have you tried any of the new because there's a lot of health changes from Series 4 to Series 9. Have you tried, like, the blood oxygen sensor? I did blood oxygen, but, like, you do it once, it says you're okay, and then what do you do with it, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know? that's true. So I did it. It said I got 99%. I was like, that's great. That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, and then I uh, closed it and didn't reopen it. I mean, ECG was already there, right? That was on Series 4. The compass is new, like the... Oh, that's like, nice. That wasn't a thing on Series 4, so I opened up the compass saw which direction i was in i was like cool and then i closed it again i don't know what you did <laughs> the to say like um I, and i don't think there was any other sensors added apart from blood oxygen yeah i guess uh, not yeah 
So like it like I, I'm happy that I upgrade it because I think with the the last year of the of the series four, I was just starting to use the watch a bit less. I was just going to the phone more often because yeah. it was getting slower because the battery was running out. Like bef- uh, with my series four, my battery would get to like close to dead by about ten eleven o'clock. So like not you know two hours before I was going to bed or whatever. Now I can comfortably get through a whole day. If I haven't done a workout, it'll be like 70%. If I do do a workout, it'll be like, you know, 40 to 50. So you could probably stretch out two days of use if you're, you know, with light use, which is kind of what I remember the watch, like the Series 4 being originally. Mm-hmm. But obviously it's just slowly degraded over five years. Um, so and now I use my watch again like I used to. And I've been leaving my phone upstairs, you know, walking around with the watch on. Uh, the... Siri transcription and re- responding to messages and stuff seems pretty pretty accurate. So yeah. I've been relying on that more and more and more. And I'm happy with it, uh, but it's not like a revolution of the watch. Like I basically use the series nine, the series nine the same way I use the series four, and I, I didn't expect that to be any different. But that's what happened in reality. And despite the better battery life, you're not using it for sleep tracking at all, which I I think you should give it a shot. But you don't seem to be interested in i don't sleeping. like how i i did it once like when they added sleep mm-hmm. tracking like as a system feature and i didn't really like how it felt like you know when i like lean on my hand when i was going to sleep or whatever i guess that's something i would get used to if i did it yeah some more but but then i ask i asked the question of what's the point of sleep tracking in that can i actually really change my sleep i don't know uh, i guess it just makes sure that you're like getting the full you know, eight hours or whatever, like it, it tracks the time, which I guess is a yeah, it's, maybe a, a minor benefit. It just feels like not something that I really need, so I just haven't bothered and I haven't got over the hump of getting used to having this like block of metal on, on you know the side of my arm when I'm sleeping, and that's the time when I used to charge it, right? So like the series four, even the series four battery life was okay because most of the time you get to the end of the day, you know, time to go to sleep. Okay, the, the watch goes on the charger, and then in the morning you put it on again. So it's just kind of the routine I've got into. Uh, and I don't really have much motivation to change it. The sleep tracking, I think, would give you the your wrist temperature data, which is kind of useful. When I got really sick last year, it was helpful to see like the little spike beforehand and see it really spike while I was sick and then slowly start to go back down. I mean, it's not super useful data, but it's something to it's a point of data to give a doctor or something. Yeah, if you're doing like a virtual visit, I think you should give it a shot. I think you'll get used to the to sleeping with it on the charging thing is a lifestyle adjustment for sure but i sleep watching my 49 millimeter apple watch ultra and i'm just fine some of us are different i don't know it was not by the way my 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 um my band my sport band that i got from yeah. series four was so degraded that i hadn't realized like the feel <laughs> of the series the band that came with the yeah. series nine is so much smoother than obviously like the flaky bit of plastic that i, I was wearing up to now um <laughs> So now I've got like a really nice smooth band again. Well, you know you could have so. bought a new band without buying a new watch. I could have done that. but. So do you regret updating this year, especially with the rumors of like the Apple Watch X, Apple Watch, whatever the bigger um, changes coming? Maybe I don't know if year? I regret it. Like I, I was whole, I mean, like once you've held up five years, like yeah. at some point you can't regret it. Like, I, you know, I've been, I've been playing the, you know, gambling for a big up for a big update. I waited five years. There wasn't a big update. Okay, updated, right? And I carry on, you know. If the Series X or whatever they're going to call it does come out next year and it's like crazy, crazy good, then yeah, I guess I might regret it slightly. But like, then I'll just sell it and upgrade 
a year later you know what i mean like if i have to i'll do it but then i'll just i'll just take the pain but i guess my gamble is that whatever they do do is a couple of years is still a few years away i kind of have the feeling in my heart that like the big redesign will come to the big watches first because i would really love to wear a bigger watch but like the 41 millimeter size is really pushing it for me like i've worn my brother or whatever or my family have 45 millimeter watches and they're just too big. Like, the arc of my wrist is just not big enough for him to sit on comfortably. And it looks silly. And the Apple Watch Ultra would be about the same, if not worse. So, I'm kind of stuck with the smallest size. And I'm not convinced that their new redesign will necessarily address the smallest size watch. I mean, the trend of the last, you know, few Apple Watches redesigns has been everything gets bigger, right? Yeah. So, like, maybe the Series X comes out and it's only on the Ultra size to start with. And it takes another couple of years to make it way down the line. What I'd really love to see them do with the Series 9 is put an action button on it, just like they did on the Ultra. I think not having that is a bit of a miss. Um, but I don't know. I don't find the action button know. particularly useful on the Ultra. But What do you think of the midnight color? I forgot about that because you had a, just a space gray. Yeah. And midnight is different. And you buy everything I in black. The... So. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, if you wanted my choice of raw color, I would pick the space black stainless steel. That's what I would choose if I had the choice, you know, like yeah. if money wasn't an object or whatever. Uh, I just pick the cheapest, one of the cheap ones, because I don't really care too much about it. And it means that if I do have to change it in a couple of years or whatever, I don't feel bad about it. And it means that I can be more free with like, you know, flaying my arm around and not feeling like if I do scratch it up. I mean, luckily my Series 4 never got like, a, it got like one tiny screen scratch the entire time. Um, but if I was wearing like a more expensive one, a more expensive model, and I got it scratched, I'd feel bad about it. Uh, so I get the cheapest one for that reason, uh, and I obviously get the color that's closest to black, which is the midnight version. It's quite a nice color. I, I probably do prefer it to the the, the space gray of the series four. Um, you know, it does have a slight blue tint under certain lights and stuff. The band is not as black as the black band that came with the series four. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's it's definitely more bluey gray color. Uh, I like it, but like, it, it's if you wanted like just the raw color choice, I would pick one of the stainless steel models. Uh, just they just like almost twice the price uh just for a color difference i'm not going to pay that they're heavier they're significantly heavier and heavier you know? as well yeah i guess buying you know buying the cheap one is a hedge that if i do have to upgrade it next year then at least i've only spent you know 300 instead of 700 pounds <laughs> however much the difference is the rare benjamin mayo year over year update maybe yeah i i bet i bet though that you know, it's not even confirmed that Series X is going to be massive redesign in 2024. It could be a 2025 thing. Yeah. Like, there's, there's a, you know, the, the rumors aren't clear enough for me to really uh, know for sure whether I made a good choice or not. And we'll find out. But I'm, you know, I gamble most of the time when I gamble on something for a long time, it works out. You know, the phone I got a decent upgrade on, the laptop I got a decent upgrade on, this watch upgrade, it's okay. Uh, you win some, you lose some. Mostly, if you're winning, you're happy. So. And I, I love the Apple Watch as a thing. I just don't think it's very di- much different than when I last bought one, you know. So it doesn't really change the way I'm going to use it too much. Yeah, Just the speed and the performance is nice. The bigger screen is probably the biggest difference. Just getting a few extra pixels on the screen. Uh, and it's brighter and, you know, it's, you know, it is nicer in every way. But it's not like giving me a whole new feature I can really do. Apart from maybe the double tap thing, which we'll definitely talk about when it ships in a couple of weeks. Well, I'm just glad you have the compass. Now you can tell which way you're pointing. That's that's all that matters. I was I was I was worried about you. Now, <laughs> now now you have the health data too. I can keep better track of you. We're 
this is great. This is great. You, if you if you ever fall down again, you have some more health data. So. Oh yeah, I should probably check with it. Yeah, the fall, fall detection, detection setting. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Hour this week is also brought to you by Urban Armor Gear. 9to5Mac is teaming up with Urban Armor Gear to give away Apple's latest iPhone 15 to one lucky reader. Just hit up the link in the show notes to enter. Urban Armor Gear create quality, rugged, protective cases for all of your essential devices, including the just-released range for iPhone 15. Urban Armor Gear is the leading designer of rugged, lightweight mobile device cases and accessories. Crafted in Southern California, their products are the result of obsessive dedication to quality and inspired design. Their latest collection for iPhone 15, 15 Plus, 15 Pro and Pro Max is available now. They've raised the bar on Urban Armor Gear's legendary standards for rugged phone protection. The cases have a strengthened magnet module, making an ultra-secure connection with MagSafe accessories. And there's a wide range of styles, including the clear plyo case with anti-yellowing properties. In fact, their entire range has been updated, such as new clear and graphic versions of their Pathfinder case and a totally redesigned Essential Armor case. They offer industry-leading drop protection, an ultralight impact frame, and so much more. Elevate your iPhone 15 protection with Urban Armor Gear. Check them out at urbanarmorgear.com now to discover the perfect case for you. That's urbanarmorgear.com. And don't forget to enter the giveaway to win an iPhone 15. Find the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Urban Armor Gear for sponsoring the show. Meanwhile, I got my new iPhone 15 Pro Max. I don't know if it's that much more exciting than your Series 9 because I upgrade every year. Oh, it is slightly. I don't know. I don't know. The, 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 The phone... You don't have to upgrade every year, for sure. But at least every single year, they do have more significant changes. The Apple Watch is far more incremental. One thing I did setting up my iPhone 15 Pro Max this year that I haven't done in like, God, probably about like five years is set it up as completely new instead of restoring from an iCloud backup or doing like the iPhone to iPhone transfer thing. I actually really enjoyed doing this. It was interesting seeing some of the what some of the defaults are in iOS now and how I apparently had gradually changed quite a few settings over the years. Like I didn't know reachability is on by default now or maybe oh, it always was. It was always on, but on the home buttonless phones, obviously you swipe up from the bottom to go to the home screen. But if you like swipe from the bottom left corner, it activates reachability. If you swipe down on the bar, yeah, that's, that's it. So I kept yeah. accidentally enabling reachability and I, at first, I hate that saying. At first, I was like, what is this doing? Like, I forgot about reachability completely. And I was like, oh, had to go find where to turn that off. Because even on these, like, on this latest generation, it, like, duplicates the notch spacing. It's, like, yeah. really weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also things like the battery percentage, which is a relatively new addition. But I'd forgotten that that's not on by default. Keyboard haptics, also not on by, you, by wait, default. Wait, you turn battery percentage on? Yeah. Do you not? No. Why is why, are you why do you want the, the stress of percentages on your screen? Well, maybe I'll turn it off this time, but this year. But iPhone 14 Pro Max battery was so bad. I needed to know. I needed to know. Yeah. It's useful too when you're traveling and maybe you're not looking at the phone as often. But you need to know, like, I'm about to be on a plane for six hours and my phone's at 30. percent I should probably charge. It's useful in those contexts, especially. Apparently, at some point, I'd like reduce the text size, so I thought the text size setting this phone up was like gigantic which was a little bit disconcerting <laughs> i'm trying to think if there's anything else that, that was the thing with the apple watch by the way it asked yeah. me to um choose the text size and i was like 
I don't know which one of these options is like equivalent to what I used on my <laughs> old watch. <laughs> I was like, is it this one or does this looks bigger? But is it just because the screen's bigger? Like, I wasn't sure, <laughs> and I'm still not 100 percent sure what option I actually whether I'm matching the previous one or not. So I just kind of flick it around a bit. The biggest thing though is like realizing how many apps I had installed and how many apps I actually like use and or need because I've just kind of been downloading apps now as I need them. So like I go to I went to Starbucks yesterday and I was like, oh, I need to download the Starbucks app. So I did that. I think right now I'm up to like having 15 apps on my phone or something as opposed to probably over what 200 maybe on my 14 Pro Max. It's also I found to be a good opportunity to like tame your notifications and when an app asks you to send notifications be I'm being a lot more aggressive and just saying no. Also, I've been I realized that I've disabled badges on virtually every application like notification badges on my 14 pro max and i didn't remember that there's not like a system-wide toggle to do that yep so as i download every app i have to go to the settings app then also disable badges which is annoying they really just need i think it's kind of weird that you know like when you get photos permission in an app it says it gives you like different options it's like allow you know select photos are you limited access or deny the notifications authorization prompt doesn't have any options on it it's just do you want to allow notifications or not like in that panel they should give you the toggles for you know sounds badges banners right there um when you when you approve an app Mm -hmm. and i think what you're saying is also like in the just like notification settings you should just be able to change the default from yeah badges on or badges off right yeah that'd be handy too then so things like health data passwords photos messages focus modes they all synced via iCloud, like surprisingly quickly and surprisingly smoothly. I was a little bit worried about the health data in particular, but all of that came over just fine. The biggest hiccup I hit was the Apple Watch transfer, transferring my Apple Watch Ultra from the 14 to the 15. I don't think that's necessarily due to setting it up as new. It's just due to that being a painful process every year. It's just buggy and doesn't really work. So I had to reset the Apple Watch then repair it with the 15 pro max but that was fine that wasn't a huge deal otherwise the thing i noticed most was that i had to rebuild like all my home screens and my widgets and stuff there's a lot more to that nowadays than like the last time i probably set up an iphone as new because you have custom home screens for different focus modes and you can add and hide home screens and you have widgets and you have the app library it's going to take a while to get things back to how i like them but all in all i'm pretty happy setting it up as as new i think it's it needed to be done after five, six years of just cruft building up in my iPhone. When you set it up, did it ask you to choose an action button action as part of the setup process or not? Yes, it did. Okay. I put a picture. And did it, when you when you pick it, does it come up with that same like wacko setting screen? Just yeah, you swipe through okay. them and everything. Yeah, you swipe them. Yeah. Which is what it does on the Apple Watch Ultra too. It prompts you to pick pick what you want to do. Of course, there's only four options or five options there but yeah it's during the setup process there's a lot of questions during the setup process of a new iphone probably like a dozen it was confusing remembering what i prefer versus what i what i would change but yeah overall i'd say it was a good experiment and we'll see if it we'll see how quickly a thing my phone devolves into chaos again yeah yeah, so iphone 15 pro max itself I got hands-on time with it, obviously, at Steve Jobs Theater, and we talked about that. But, man, this design is so good. The combination of the 
20 gram lighter design and the curved edges. It's a big change to how it feels in your hand. Like, you know, like you hold your phone and you obviously you put your pinky under the bottom of it. Sounds stupid, but like my pinky's not as tired anymore. It's just a big change to <laughs> my pinky doesn't hurt. Like it's a big change and the curved edges in particular, like with how you hold it, the sharp edges on the old phone. I think it takes kind of like the best of the iPhone 10, iPhone 11 design era and combines it with the iPhone 12. Because I think you said a couple weeks ago how the 15 Pro Max is lighter than the 14 Pro Max, but in reality, it's like the same as what the iPhone 12 Pro Max or something? Yeah, the 12 series. Yeah, 12 Pro and 12 Pro Max. uh, It's like three grams lighter than those. So it's pretty close to those. I got the natural titanium. And when I unboxed it at first, I was kind of worried. I was like, oh, it's showing some fingerprints like around the edges, around the the titanium edges but over time like that hasn't been an issue not nearly not nearly as bad as the stainless steel on the 14 my brother bought the blue titanium pro oh, yeah how's that cool color it's actually pretty nice fingerprints uh, there are fingerprints on it but some of the pictures of- to, see, I, I thought it was comparable to the stainless steel on my phone so yeah see i feel like the natural titanium is a lot better than the stainless steel in terms of fingerprints the action button, it's fine. I'm struggling to figure out what to use it for. Right now I have it assigned to the camera and that's fine. I have found it kind of useful to like be in a random application to then be able to quickly open the camera. But the biggest thing here that I think kind of limits the action button is also not being able to customize the two icons on the lock screen. I think in an ideal world, I'd have the action button linked to the camera and then have two other things on the and those lock screen spots, like have have the Tesla app on one of the spots on the lock screen and have the action button linked to the camera because it's not as useful to be somewhere random in iOS and want to launch the Tesla app as it is to be somewhere random and want to launch the camera app, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because usually when and you can you can make like lock screen widgets or whatever that can launch that stuff. Yeah. But the, it is annoying that the buttons at the bottom you can't change. The torch I use quite a lot. The camera one yeah. I don't really use, so... And part of the problem with the camera one, too, now, is like you have lock screen widgets to open certain things. But if you want to use the action button for the camera, you now have basically three ways to access the camera from your lock screen. Yeah, yeah. how many? So if you you set the camera as the action button, that's one. You've got the button at the bottom, that's two. You can swipe, that's three. You can pull down control center, right, and pick the camera from Mm -hmm. there. That's four. Um, Siri will give you five, I guess, so... Yeah, I reckon there's probably one other way I'm forgetting. You could probably do a half dozen different ways to access the camera just from the lock yeah. screen. The control center is something I noticed setting up the new phone, too. You know how you can customize those bottom tiles in control center? By default, yep. there's not a whole lot there, and they're not particularly useful. And I wonder how many people don't even know that you can customize those because you have to do it in settings. A lot. I think a lot yeah. of people don't re- don't realize that. And there's that, actually some useful ones down yeah, there. Yeah, there is. I turn on. You know, screen recording, I don't think it's there by default. The Shazam sound recognition mm-hmm. you have to turn on. Yeah. Some people with the action button have done some just crazy stuff, like all different kinds of triggers based on, like, if I'm at this location, do this. If it's this time of day, do that. It's Eventually, I'll probably dive deeper into some of that. But also, it just seems like that's some of that's like a house of cards or whatever the saying is. It might work, and then you go to press it a couple days later, and it doesn't work. And that doesn't seem like something I want to troubleshoot all the time. Just kind of want to pick something that works consistently. And right now, for me, that's the camera. 
I, th- I think you mentioned to me that you'd been accidentally pressing it when you're trying to change the volume. That's why I think Apple made the right call doing the press and hold. So you don't just press the action button, you have to press and hold to trigger, in my case, the camera. Because when I'm like just trying to feel over to press the action button, I'll sometimes press the volume button. And when I'm feeling over to press the volume button, I sometimes press the action button. They're just so close to each other and they feel... It's harder to tell by feel that the action button is not the volume button, unlike the mute switch, which obviously was a switch and not a button. I don't know. Yeah, because if... obviously the the mute button, the mute switch is in the same basically the same place as the action button. Right. But yeah. you could grip your phone, over, like you could put your fingers over the mute switch and not toggle it because it toggled in the opposite direction, right? Like up and down versus yeah. just pushing mm-hmm. inwards. Um, and my my brother actually said the exact same thing. He said he'd been pressing the button instead of changing the volume. Um, and so yeah, that that is probably why they did press and hold instead of just clicking. It would be nice if you could do a double press instead of a press and hold or do a double press as a way to trigger another action. Not that I've, as I just said, I'm struggling. I was going to say, you haven't yeah. found a, <laughs> a satisfactory yeah. action for one, one press, let alone two. But. You know what I mean, though. It, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And the the little pop-up that comes up in iOS 17 when you press and forget to press and hold, at a certain point, I think you know that that's what you have to do and you don't need to see that pop-up that like dims the rest of your display every time. Ultimately, though, I think the action button's fine. I mean, it still lets you just use mute and unmute if you want. And for those people who want to do something crazier, it's been cool to see some of the things people have rigged up. The other design change is the smaller bezels, which I said this after my time with it at Steve Jobs Theater, and I think it's still true. It's not as big of a change as I expected. But when you do notice it is when you use the iPhone 15 for a little bit, then go back like to the 14. I had to go back and reset and ship out my 14 Pro Max back to Apple. And then I was like, yeah, this phone has gigantic bezels. But <laughs> once you get used to it in like day-to-day use, it's visually it's fine, but it doesn't really add much to the overall experience. And I have noticed like accidental input kind of being a problem. We talked about this, I think, in the lead up to the event and With smaller bezels, it's harder to hold the phone in a way that you're not also touching the screen. And Apple does some things in iOS to reduce the chances of accidental input. But the biggest place I've noticed it is like watching a video and accidentally touching the screen and either like the playback controls pop up or it does the thing where it like zooms in to fill the screen and remove the letterboxing. Or in TikTok, like trying to scroll downwards and it not scrolling and you realize you're accidentally pressing and holding on the side of the screen. So I don't know if that's something that'll get better over time with software, but it's definitely... I've never really noticed that before on an iPhone, but I notice it now. That's interesting, yeah. The big thing, though, is the camera. I did a decent amount of camera testing over the weekend, and one of the things I noticed right off the bat is that the new new way to switch between 1x, 1.2x, and 1.5x, which is 24mm, 28mm, and 32mm, I think? 35mm. 35, yeah, because it's like default photography i really like that setting i don't know why but i really like the 1.5x in particular it kind of feels like the sweet spot between 1x and 2x and obviously apple is doing like the pipeline stuff there to make those images in particular look better i guess i still don't fully understand what they're doing but i know that they're still taking the 48 megapixel image and synthesizing it together to get you a full res 24 megapixel image with the 1.5x you're taking pictures of a person or an object or a building or something because 1x is kind of kind of far out without 
getting up really close and getting awkwardly close. 1.2x is fine, but 1.5x is that sweet spot. And that's what I've set the default to. And eventually, it kind of makes the 1x start to look like the ultra-wide. Yeah, I have thought about that. But like, I think the 1x is used by a lot of people just when they're like you know out with friends and stuff they just want to take photos of groups yeah. of people mm-hmm. and so you know your parties or you're just out or whatever and so they probably can't really change to like a 1.5x no because it's like 1.5x is like 35 millimeter which is more traditional like photography you know subjects and um, objects you know like things but like group shots it's a bit close um so they probably can't like make the you know, make the physical lens 1.5x in the future, they're probably going to have something at 1x level around. Um, I do think eventually the iPhone will grow like a fourth lens and it will be, you know, yeah, maybe it's 1.5x, 48 megapixel by default or something or something between. Maybe they put a 3x back in. Uh, but the 1x has a lot of purpose. It's just not purpose for like fancy photography. It's just daily yeah. snapshots, you know. And it really shows how bad the 0.5x is. Just, I don't think it's changed since when it was added with, what was it at? The iPhone 11? Is that when they added 0.5x? Yeah, 11 Pro, yeah. 11 Pro, yeah. And it hasn't really changed since then. And at this point, it's kind of like a meme. Like it just, people use it to take ugly pictures of themselves and other people. And I don't really get a lot of utility out of that anymore, especially now choosing 1.5x and then realizing that 1x is actually a good fully zoomed out option. The one thing that is weird, though, is having 1x, 1.2x, 1.5x, then 2x as separate buttons in the camera app, and then the next option being 5x. Like, I mi- I do miss the 3x. I think I sent this, like some of the pictures I took to you, and I was taking pictures of a sign on an apartment building. And I started at 1x, went to 1.2, went to 1.5, went to 2, then went all the way to 5. And it was too close if that makes sense like you couldn't see the full sign whereas if i did a digital crop to 3x it was like the sweet spot for seeing the full sign and being as close as possible i think that's probably a good reason like you said to add that fourth camera at some point but overall i think the benefits of the 5x outweigh that gap from 2x to 5x and the 5x pictures look good i think they look better than the 3x telephoto camera did especially if you're in good lighting outside Inside, it's a different story. Still better than the 3X. Still less noisy than the 3X. Night mode seems to be better with the 5X, but it still doesn't compare to the 1X even, or really come even close. Yeah, the 1X is just far ahead of the other lenses. Uh, some of that's cost. Some of that's space, I think, like yeah, to make the true. zoom lenses um, have the same light intake as, uh, and the apertures and stuff. They would have to make it a lot, lot bigger. Uh, which obviously they haven't done so far. Maybe they will do in the future, but on different models or different sizes, maybe on like Mac, future Max exclusive feature. Uh, but for the time being, yeah, the 1X is still the one you want to shoot at Yeah, um, most of the time if you want it to look the best. But the 5X pictures have... I've only seen samples online and stuff. I've been relatively impressed with them. I think they're decent. And you can definitely get good shots with them, especially like animals and stuff outside. It's better than I expected. I... I took some random pictures of like these outdoor cats where we were where we were walking it's at baylor like on campus they have like a little habitat unofficial habitat where a bunch of cats live and the 5x was useful there just to get nice and up and close without scaring them to run away 
So yeah, there's the real test will be in a year, right? When you look back at your photo yeah. library and you see how many pictures you've actually taken that zoomed in. Which that dovetails into something we were talking about too with the over-processing problem that iPhones have kind of adopted over the years where Apple really leans into like smart HDR to make or do what it thinks makes your picture look better and sharper. And I think their goal was making the pictures look good rather than making them accurately represent what you were taking pictures of, if that makes sense. I think they've really scaled that back this year. The pictures look a lot a lot just more natural and you see less weird things happening because of problems with the smart HDR processing. I think there's less sharpening going on as yeah, well. Yeah, yes, that's a big one. Yeah, the textures look a bit more natural rather than like super super sharpened. Faces look better and less like yeah, face tuned. Pretty good pretty good camera. It's a good yeah, change. I mean it, it ebbs and flows. It ebbs and flows over the years like the processing and they think they've found a good balance this year yeah, yeah they'll oh. mess it up again for the 60 yeah that's true <laughs> we, can, we can deal with that in a year's time i sent you that picture from 2019 the iphone 10s is 2018 yeah yeah iphone 10s i sent it to you and it looks so bad now just because of the over processing the over like the trees looked black do you remember you, i sent you that picture didn't i yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Just like you said, looking back on those pictures, like at the time I was like, oh, this looks great. But now it's like, that looks pretty overprocessed and pretty funky compared to similar pictures now. But yeah, overall, good camera. Good camera upgrades. I think probably the biggest year over year camera upgrades in a while. Definitely better than the jump to 48 megapixels last year, which I think was kind of overhyped in the rumor cycle. Then the whole four twelve. Well, they didn't really use the forty megapixel yeah, exactly. sensor last year. Like at least at least this year, you're getting twenty four megapixel images, which are combining you know data from the forty eight megapixel sensor by default. Fine woven. So we 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 talked about this a lot, and I really tried to use my fine woven case, and I really just couldn't do it. The biggest thing I noticed is that the benefits of the new curved edges and the the thinner or the lighter design and the more comfortable feeling in your hand completely negated when you put a fine woven case on completely the transition from the fabricy back material to the plasticky fake leather it looks bad but it's also like sharp it starts to hurt your hand after just a few minutes which i wasn't really expecting like i knew it looked bad but i wasn't expecting such a dramatic difference in how it feels in your hand another thing i noticed the same the, pretty much the first day is that the cutout for the USB-C port on the fine woven cases is too small to fit a lot of USB-C cables so like i have cables from like satechi and nomad that are really nice cables they're like 10 foot long nylon and like you know the area around the actual USB-C connector on the cables is just too wide to go through mm-hmm. the hole on fine woven and i understand some people have been like we'll just buy less crazy cables with actual connectors which is a fair (laughs) argument i guess but these are nice cables and like the reason they have that wider connector is for durability like it makes it less likely that the they make the cable thicker which requires that wider connector so there's less likelihood of the transition from the cable to the port like fraying over time you know like happened with so many lightning cables well because lightning cables are kind of the opposite right because they like yeah you know, they had the pins exposed, so like the end of it couldn't really be a different size. Yeah, exactly. Get my gift. Yeah. I don't miss lightning, but this is annoying. Like, not 
having to think about what size cable I need to fit through the case. And this isn't exclusive to the fine woven cases. It seems worse. The cutout seems smaller on the fine woven cases. But I also have a leather case from Mujo, Mujo, and it has a similar problem. It works with like the Sateki cable, but not the Nomad cable. It's kind of just like a, a wild west of accessories right now. Thinking about what USB-C cable will fit in your iPhone 15 case is like annoying. And for a lot of people, I imagine it's making, it's going to make the transition from Lightning to USB-C more annoying than it would have otherwise. Yeah, fine woven in general, obviously big miss. Horrible miss, yeah. They would have been better off just not releasing any... Because it's like they got rid of the leather cases and they were like, we have to put something else here instead. They'd been better just not doing anything, I think. Um, but I mean, we've seen pictures of like... It was Federico Vatici who like went out to dinner and got a big stain on his case yeah, somehow. Yeah. And it's just not not great. And we Apple sent a memo to retail employees about how to answer questions about fine woven. <laughs> it's like you may be getting question you may be getting questions about the durability and fabric of fine woven. And they they said to describe it as a luxurious micro twill material. It's like anybody who looks at the demo displays of fine woven at Apple stores can pretty much tell it's not a luxurious micro micro twill material those demo displays i don't think we'll be seeing these come back next year uh it almost seems like in the same form it almost seems like they have to do something in the interim like i imagine the return rates are so high maybe would it be better for them just to like say if you bought a fine woven case and you hate it here's a link to get a free silicone case or here's a link to get 50 percent off a silicone case like don't send your fine woven back we don't want a bunch of used fine woven cases we care about the environment xyz whatever here's a free silicone case yeah but isn't the silicone case bad for the environment that's true <laughs> i i think they'll just let you have return they'll just do the returns policy and yeah maybe they'll extend it beyond 14 days or something yeah that, I, I mean it, it is bad like it's not good but it kind it doesn't feel bad enough that they really need to like do anything exceptional they'll just yeah, like sell them true. for this generation and then get rid of them i do think they should extend beyond 14 days probably because i've seen a lot of people say they went ahead and ordered their fine woven case and their iphones not coming until like late october mm. so by the time the phone arrives and they actually get to try it it's going to be out of the return period something else too is a lot of like third-party case makers like peak design and torres and i think bellroy have all had some problems because they used a cutout for the action button instead of an actual button like Apple has done. I don't really know what prompted them to make this decision. I don't know if they they got some like bad some bad supply chain data, but again, it's like the whole accessory and USB-C cable and cases story around the iPhone 15 is surprisingly confusing this year. Usually case makers nail it right out of the gate, but the switch to the action button really threw some people off yeah some companies got the wrong schematics i think but that's the gamble they took if they do it right then they have supply available it's just how it goes i did notice that companies making cases that fit like nicer cases like nomad their cases are back ordered pretty far apple's braided usb-c cables are back ordered on amazon It's it's a weird year it's a very weird year in terms of accessories but yeah overall i'd say 15 Pro Max is a it's a good phone, obviously, 
but it's a bigger change than the 13 Pro to the 14 Pro. And I don't know if I expected that. I think we had just so, I think we had such high hopes for the Dynamic Island last year that we maybe overestimated the year over year improvements from 13 Pro to 14 Pro. And I think this year I was kind of disappointed in how Apple explained some of the stuff during the iPhone 15 keynote. I think we talked about it, but it, like the camera stuff kind of felt super scattered and there wasn't really a clear story on what you would use things like the new 24, 28, 35 millimeter options for. So I think I had lower hopes for the camera and my expectations this year have just been exceeded. I think it's probably the biggest change from since the 11 to the 12 between the new design, between USB-C, between the camera. It's just, it's a nice upgrade, and I think, Mayo, you messed up by going for the 14 Pro and not holding out for another year. The only thing that I regret about the 14 is the battery life situation. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just not as good. <laughs> it's, it's early, but I do think 15 Pro Max battery life is better. But I, one thing I don't know is whether some of that might be due to setting up as a new device rather than doing a backup. That's like a long-running conspiracy theory that setting your phone up as new will like make it faster and make battery life better. I don't know if that's true, but it's one of the factors this year that might be affecting my early battery life numbers. So you're happy? I'm happy. I'm, surprised, I'm surprisingly happy with the camera. USB-C is already super convenient. Like, could The other night my phone was dying and I didn't have a lightning cable nearby, but we had our Nintendo Switch charger right there, so I just grabbed it and plugged it in. It was it was nice. Very nice lifestyle improvement, lifestyle change. I guess for some people, though, they're having some problems with their iPhone 15 overheating. So this kind of slowly started brewing after the first iPhone 15 pre-orders arrived last Friday, and it's been gaining momentum since then. Some people did some tests and showed just how hot iPhone 15 units were getting in terms of actual Fahrenheit temperatures. It's hard, it's hard to tell how widespread of a problem this is and how much of it is due to hardware problems, software problems, and just the fact that during the first few days of a new iPhone, it's doing so much in the background that the CPU is just working harder than it normally would. I expect... It's probably some mix of yeah. software and hardware, right? That some under some circumstances the phones are getting way hotter than they probably should be um like just doing nothing um i think the the the, you know the the 116 degree fahrenheit was like when they were doing like benchmarking games so like yeah Yeah, under those circumstances it's going to get pushed but like there's enough people anecdotally saying that you know they're just carrying their phones around and then just like scrolling social media and then the back of their phone gets really really warm and some people have said that his instagram's full and like i don't know like it's it's still murky, but I think there's enough smoke for there to be a fire of some description. Uh, Hopefully, not a fire. It, but... Yeah, not a fire. <laughs> it, it like it's as close to a gate as we've got in a long time. I think um, it's not quite at that level, at least what we see right now. If I guess that people still have these problems in a month's time, then maybe it will develop into that. But it's something to keep an eye on because I mean, you like. You can just tell the tenor of what people are saying is different to like last year, right? Like, you know, there's indexing and all the stuff happening last year, and we didn't have these yeah. same criticisms pop up. I tend, like, I know there's been some focus on the A17 chip just being 
more power hungry and that is true at max performance it does draw more power than the previous generation but i don't think those difference in temperatures alone is enough to explain the overheating situation because the a17 pro chip will also after it reaches those hot maximum temperatures it also then downclocks itself till it gets back to normal levels uh the titanium frame changing out from stainless steel hard for i'm not like a materials expert but it's hard for me to think that that causes like a massive change in the heat profile because like the extent you know titanium stainless steel it's like a difference of one millimeter around the band of the thing yeah. it's not like the back of the phone's completely different it's still glass on the front and the back um i think it's probably some software issue somewhere maybe if maybe it's an ios 17 thing maybe it's an iphone 15 thing maybe it's somewhere in between some somewhere somewhere in there i think there is some slight issue affecting some people i even had uh, the other day my 14 pro felt really really hot hotter than i've never felt it before um and that was running ios 17.0 like just the release version uh, so maybe you know you take that you put it in a titanium enclosure and then boom it feels really really hot you know like so far apple hasn't commented but it does feel like there's something there I think we will probably get a comment soon because overnight the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg both ran stories on it. And I think that's probably putting more pressure on Apple than just like 9 to 5 Mac covering it. So I think we'll probably get a comment soon. And I imagine it'll just be like, oh, iOS 17.0.3 is coming and it'll fix it. Just a software bug. But it does kind of damper Apple's whole goal that the iPhone 15 Pro is going to be like a gaming console. So they gave that interview to IGN after the event where they said iPhone 15 Pro is going to be the world's best gaming console. And if you're having these overheating problems and the biggest focus of the A17 Pro is on that all-new GPU architecture, the ray tracing, the 20% improvement in GPU speeds, you have to, Apple's going to have to lean heavily on the game makers themselves to strike that perfect balance of performance versus heat versus efficiency. And right or now, be like it only really works well if you have it keep it plugged in while you're playing or something. You know? Yeah, exactly. Which a lot of these people who play games on the phone do do anyway, because you play 3D games on the phone that you know the, the all day battery life yeah. quickly uh, quickly depletes. So that might be how they circumvent that particular problem. My my big thing with the iPhone as a, the iPhone 15 is the A17 Pro chip. Like the three nanometer transition has not yielded any gains that i can like that can tangibly be seen there like it's a really weird puzzle uh going from a five nanometer to three nanometer process shrink should give you you know some substantial either performance gain or efficiency gain and you look at the performance profiles and the benchmarks people can do on the 17 pro and there isn't really much to speak of there it uses more heat to do this to do basically the equivalent work or the same heat to do the same work as the previous generation i.e no more efficient and no more powerful the gpu is 20 percent faster um but it does also have one extra gpu core right so it's just like well we're just slapping another core and it's like it's not really explained (laughs) by the architecture shift so the only thing is maybe they like burnt or used up all those additional transistors on like the ray tracing thing uh but it's not the the a17 pro with three nanometer is a bit of a disappointment the biggest so, reason it's a disappointment for me is the efficiency thing. I don't really, I don't game on my phone. I don't care about ray tracing or my my games being twenty percent faster. But I would have loved to see that five nanometer to three nanometer shrink lead to some really big and really noticeable battery life improvements, and it didn't. And it 
I have um, seen one person say like, well, maybe this this cycle they've like designed the base chip with a view to more optimize the higher end performance when this chip architecture moves to Mac and yeah. iPad. Um, and so maybe we'll see more gains there. Uh, but it, it certainly hasn't benefited the phone this time around. Because the heating and the heating problem's not a, as big of a deal on the Mac as it is on the iPhone. Macs, with the exception of the MacBook Air, have fans, and they're just bigger. There's more area for the heat. And often to, plugged in if you're doing yeah, anything that's super true. intensive. Yeah. And Mac OS Sonoma does add the game mode thing, too, which, what does it do? It means your Mac will run games... Basically, we'll take advantage of all the CPU, GPU power to run games if the game is in full screen mode, I think. Yeah, it puts you at a higher priority yeah. than other stuff. It's meant to like stabilize frame rates rather than like that's right. splitting yeah. the CPU with other stuff that's also running. It's like, we'll just give it... And this is a feature like Windows had for so long. Like It just prioritizes the game because it's full screen and the Mac's finally catching up to that. The only gaming I do is on my Mac is in Parallels using Steam to play Euro Truck Simulator. So I don't think <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna see much improvement there, regardless. No, no. It's a good game though. I'll probably drive by your castle sometime and wave to you and see you outside. But yeah. Apple Watch, same as ever. iPhone 15 Pro, better than last year. Surprisingly better camera. Yeah. I'm happy. Pretty nice. Yeah. It's a it's a small incremental year, but it's it's overall positive. The overheating is the question mark. Yeah. But otherwise, pretty smooth release. And I think they'll sell a lot of them. I think that's it for this week. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review, and subscribe to an ad-free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. Send us feedback, happyhour at 9to5mac.com. I'm on Twitter, Mastodon, and threads at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, where are you? BZA Mayo. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.